John chapter 12, verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him suffer, and or they didn't make him suffer. The cooking wasn't that bad. There they made him supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. Let's pray again really quick. Lord, we love you so much. I just pray that you would speak to us about worship clearly through your heart. We love you, God. We thank you for this moment in time we have to look at your word. In your name, amen. So the first point is worship is unrestrained love. So in this story, so you guys know what's going on, it's six days before the Passover, and Passover for the Jews was basically like Christmas and Easter rolled into one. It's this big celebration. It's celebrating their history and everything that God has done for them and through them. It's, it's this huge thing, and so everybody is gathered together. The question to ask first is, where is this celebration taking place? Jesus is sitting at a table. Whose house is it at? Do you guys remember? Whose house? Lazarus's house. Lazarus, who was raised by the dead. So you've got Mary and Martha. How many of you guys have heard Bible stories about Mary and Martha? Raise your hand growing up. Okay, so you guys know who those people are. And then you've got Lazarus, who was raised by the dead, or raised from the dead. And I think in this moment, you see them all gathered together at this table. And what it really is, is it's a celebration of gratitude. Think about it. Your brother your brother was once dead, and now he's alive, raised from the dead, and you're throwing this big meal as a showing of gratitude to Jesus. Like, thank you so much, Jesus. You saved my brother. He was in the ground for three days. His flesh was rotting. There was flies all around, and yet you raised him from the dead. And then even more than throwing a celebration, Mary takes it one step further with her gratitude, and she comes, and she pours out her thankfulness in the way of pouring out this really expensive perfume, just this extremely valuable perfume. She comes into the room and she pours the oil all over Jesus' feet and then she washes his feet with her hair. It's just, it's this beautiful picture. Mary shows us what true worship looks like because her heart is completely set on Jesus. True worship is when your heart is completely set on Jesus, when it is unrestrainedly set on Jesus Christ. But let's be honest, like this, like we, we, have, to, we have to identify with the weirdness of this situation. Because let's, let's just imagine, like rewind in your mind to when Sienna and Miley were up on the stage leading worship. Imagine that in the middle of worship, you know, Sienna's up there, she's playing the guitar, and some random lady comes through that door walks up to them, like, and you were barefoot today, right up there? Oh, you told me you were going to rock the barefoot. I didn't even tell her to, but I just, I was like, that's perfect. So let's just imagine, you know, some random lady, like some homeless person off the street, walks in, takes off Sienna's shoes, gets out like a jug of like olive oil, <laughs> starts like rubbing her feet, <laughs> and then like wiping the feet with her hair, and then like crying on her feet, and like drying it, like, 
would we think like, oh, what a beautiful like act of worship. Like we'd be like, this is weird. Like somebody called the cops. Like I don't know what's going on. This is, this is strange. This is very bizarre. It wouldn't really fit our idea. And, and I think that's the first thing I want to point out to you guys. We kind of have in our mind specific ideas of what worship is supposed to be, specific models and molds. It's supposed to look this way. It's supposed to sound this way. You play in these keys. You sing this way. You have the slides up on the screen, which we didn't have today. I'm so sorry. But it wouldn't fit her idea if she walked in here and did that. It would be strange and it would be bizarre. I want to call something out. And listen, I don't ever preach anything that I don't need to hear myself, but I'm going to call it out. The problem is many of us view worship not as something we give, but something we enjoy and experience. We view worship not as something that we're giving, but a lot of times you and, and definitely me. I don't know about you, but definitely me. There are times where I view worship not as something I'm giving back to God, but something where it's, it's something I experience. And so it's got to fit my parameters. You know what I mean? Like if I go to a church and, and the guitar player is playing out of key, or if they're singing and their voice is a little warbly and not quite good, my flesh kicks up and I'm like... <laughs> This church, I mean, their worship leader isn't that good. I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, my church, you know, is better. You know, Sian and Miley are way better than this loser up here. Like, like sometimes I can sit in a worship service and I can start judging the instruments or the singer. Sometimes I can sit in a message and I can listen to a guy teaching and I can go like, uh, he's good, but he's not as good as my pastor. Uh, like, I can think these ways because the problem with that is it's, it's we're viewing worship as something that's meant for us, something where we sit and we take it and we hear it and it's 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 really it's a part of this consumer culture that we have like think about it that's how we are like like when you go out and you want to get a phone you want to get the best phone so you research and you find out and who am I kidding you don't you don't even need to research it's just the new whatever's the newest Apple product like that's the one that you want and you won't settle for anything less you have high standards I've talked to a lot of dudes here who just like have these ridiculously unproportioned uh, standards on, on like, you know, dude, she's so cute. Why don't you? No, dude. Like, she's got to be. Or, you know what? I've even talked to girls like, oh, I won't date a guy who's not seven feet tall. It's got to be seven feet. That's the goal, you know, and you've got all these standards and we can take that consumer mentality into worship. It's got to fit our standards. But the question is, is worship about him or is it about you? right? Is it about him or is it about you? See, we can learn from Mary's example because what she did in pouring out the oil, it had nothing to do with her and it was all about him. This is, this is scandalous. She comes in and she dumps the oil and she wipes it with her hair like we, we already established. It would be strange. Mary has no regard for her status or image. She doesn't care. She doesn't care. She says, Jesus is where I want to be. Jesus is who I want to be with. That is the goal. And so much of our behavior, guys, is because we are so concerned about how others see us. Like, seriously, like, we're, we're always thinking, like, is my hair okay? Is my outfit okay? Like, do I look all right? Do I smell okay? Like, if someone sees me, are they going to be like, oh, that's their good-looking guy? Or are they going to be like, oh, barf? Like, like, we're always thinking these things. I don't know about you, but I am constantly comparing myself to others. 
Seriously, just constantly. And, and Instagram is perpetuating that in us. Like we just, we spend our days scrolling and comparing and looking at someone and either saying, oh, I've got it better than them, or looking at someone and saying, I'll never be as good as them. We're constantly going back and forth and comparing and trying to live our lives in a way where we don't look weird to anybody else. But listen, guys, I want to challenge you. Stop trying so hard to fit in when you were born to stand out. Honestly, stop trying so hard to fit in when you were born to stand out. You were made in the image of God. And as a follower of Jesus, you have the upper hand over like everyone else who's not. Not in a weird competitive way, but just in the sense that you can actually live out the identity that humans were made for. To be in the image of God and worship him. To live for him. To love people in the way that he loves people. Like you, you have such an opportunity to stand out for him. But so many times, so many times as Christians, it's like, I don't want to stand out. I don't want to be weird. I will worship God exactly to the level that it is comfortable and appropriate for me to do so. If I'm in church, I am going to sing exactly at the same volume as the loudest person in the room because I don't want to stand out. If I'm in church and everyone's sitting down, I'm not going to stand up because that would make me stand out. If I'm at school and there's no one really shining the light of Jesus at school, but all of my friends who are kind of Christians are, you know, just kind of doing their Christian thing and, you know, they go to Bible class and that's their Christian time. If, if that's the level, if that's the, how high the bar is set, I'm not going to rise above that because I don't want to stand out. And it, I just think as Christians, guys, we were born to stand out. We were born to go above and beyond. We were born to not just want to fit in, but to stand up and stand out for the Lord. This, this girl, Mary, she does not hold back. She comes and she's just so blown away by what God has done by, for her brother. that She just goes for it. It's, it's, um, it's an amazing story. And I think for me, like, what are situations where I don't hold back? Well, one, uh, did, did any of you guys, uh, well, let me ask before that. Are any of you guys huge Star Wars fans? Like huge, like huge Star Wars fans. I am a huge Star Wars fan. Like I go online and I read Wikipedia articles, not Wikipedia, Wikipedia, because it's the Star Wars one. And I just like nerd out and like I'll literally spend like like just minutes upon minutes like looking at some background character who's like in one shot of the Phantom Menace and I'm like reading their backstory and like researching comic books they're in and stuff and I just I love it when the new Star Wars movie came out I did not hold back like, I went, and I waited in line, and I was so stoked, and then I was in the theater, like, I was, like, laughing and crying, and just the majestic Millennium Falcon swooping in, and when that score comes in, the da -na 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 -na, like, when it comes in, just, and swooping and shooting lasers, I was, like, my heart couldn't control myself, and I, I was, like, standing up, me and Alex Heber, the junior high pastor, like, we're clapping and cheering, and we were so stoked. For some of you guys, it's sports games. You go to your sports games, and that's not me, so I'm not even going to, like, try to make up some situation. You know, you go to sports games, and you love it. You stand up and cheer, and you clap and eat a hot dog. I don't know what you do, because I don't do it. Um, <laughs> some of you guys, maybe you go to a Bieber concert, you know, and just you're, you're not going to hold back. You know, you're going to get the T-shirt with his face on it, and it's going to be amazing. You're going to bleach your hair blonde and, like, get extensions so you look like him. Like, you're not going to hold back, because you love Justin Bieber. Listen, listen. I'm not, like... I'm not asking for us to like dance and scream 
during worship when, you know, Sienna and Miley are leading or whoever's leading. Like, that might be kind of maybe distracting in this context. It's not what I'm talking about. What, I, what I'm talking about is I'm asking you to consider, are you holding back any part of your heart from the Lord during worship? And not just worship during songs, but worship during life. Are you hold, is there any part of your life that you're holding back? Because worship, guys, it's not just the songs. The songs are just a part of it. It's how we live our life. We live our lives as a ceremony of worship to the Lord. Are you holding back? I want to ask you to consider that today. I want to read you guys an article. Let me just make sure I'm at the right point. I'm going to read you guys an article by Andrea Lucado. This article is called, Do You Worship Your Worship Experience? A few months ago, while traveling in Kentucky, I visited a church with a friend. It was a different from the churches I typically attended for a few reasons. It was much smaller. It didn't start on time. It was a different denomination in the demographics, the races, social class, age, very greatly, and I was not in the majority. The friend I was with sat by me and explained that while this church does have a Sunday morning message, church really happens here 24-7. The service is just a small part of it and not the central event like it is for most congregations. The members here minister to the homeless every day, he told me. The building is strategically located to be close to that community. They make sandwiches after service and pass them out to the people on the street and spend time with them. Their lives reflect Jesus in their interactions with people from all neighborhoods and backgrounds. They worship God outside the church, building more than they worship him inside of it. As he explained this to me, I began to feel that uncomfortable feeling of conviction. Everything about this church appeared wrong to me. The production was poor, the worship was mediocre, people a few pews over were being disruptive and passing around someone's newborn baby, but somehow everything about that church felt right. The conviction I felt during this church service stemmed from the reality of what I've allowed worship to become for me, an experience that makes me feel good. I had, stopped, I had to stop and ask myself, since when was worship about making me feel good? I like churches with amazing worship bands. They make me feel good. I like churches where my friends go. They make me feel good. I like churches to be entertaining and the sermon to be engaging. That makes me feel good. I had to stop and ask myself, since when was worship about making me feel good? Pastor R.C. Sproul says this, as fallen creatures, it is one of our most basic and fundamental inclinations to worship something or someone other than the true God. Could it be that sometimes the thing we are drawn to worship apart from God is worship itself? The act of it as it takes place in our church service, the music, the dark lighting, the instruments playing behind the prayer, is this what I crave more than God? I do not believe the elements of a worship service are wrong or bad, but I do believe we can begin to worship our worship experience over the Almighty God, and this is not true worship. Really good stuff. This is my heart for our youth group. I would love for our youth group, whether you come here on Sundays, Wednesdays, Friday nights, my heart for us is that we would be known for worshiping Jesus even more outside of the church walls than we do inside. If my heart longs to serve, I'm probably in true worship, but if my heart longs to feel emotional after a song, I may need to ask myself what I'm worshiping. I love in the picture, in the scriptures, it tells us when Mary poured out that fragrant oil, it was like the smell of sweet perfume filled the whole house. Jesus could smell it and other people 
could smell it. Whoever was writing the gospel at the time, oh, it would be John because it's the gospel of John. John smelled it enough that he wrote about it. Listen, guys, if God has truly captured your heart, you won't even be able to keep it to yourself. Here's a quote. It says, if I stand and sing oceans or good, good father with a thousand other people in a church building, but I leave feeling unchanged with no desire to reach out to my neighbors or spread the gospel further than my own heart, have I truly worshiped God or simply worshiped an experience? When your heart is in a state of true worship, you will want to praise God without holding back and worship him not only through songs, but with how you love and serve others. It's good words. Now we've got to move on to our next character, which is Judas. So let's look at verses four through seven. Turn there with me. Verses four through seven. But then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him. Spoiler alert, if you don't know this story. One of the 12 disciples is a betrayer. He's going to rat out Jesus to the Roman authorities, sell him out for 30 pieces of silver, and Jesus will be crucified as a direct result of Judas's betrayal. But right now, Judas hasn't betrayed Jesus yet. He is in the team. He is a full-on follower of Jesus, but there's some dark stuff in his heart that lead to something even darker. So, verse 4 again. One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son who would betray him, said, why is this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what he put in. So, we've got Judas here. My second point for you guys is this. Let's see if I can get it, though. Come on, then. Man, technology today. This will work, though. Bam. Pure worship will be challenged by our inner Judas. Judas hates this display of worship. He looks at Mary washing the feet, and he hates it. He hates it, absolutely. He's like, this is terrible. Like, I don't want to see this. This is, this is nasty. This is ridiculous. Like, why, why is this going on? He hates it, and he thinks it could be done better. Listen. Listen, listen, especially for those of you who've grown up in the church, which is most of us, in the heart, I truly believe, because I know it true in my own heart, in the heart of every Christian lies a traitor. In the heart of every one of us lies our flesh waiting to betray Jesus. Guys, honestly, honestly, sometimes, sometimes I am Judas, straight up. Sometimes I want to be I mean, I know, I know I can't be Jesus, but I'd love to be Peter or Andrew or John, but sometimes in my own heart, I am Judas. I betray Jesus with my actions. I say that I follow him, but then the way that I act and live betrays that claim. It's so easy. It's so easy to do what, Jesus, or to do what Judas does and be critical, to be critical of other people and look at them and go, oh, their heart isn't the right place. They don't really love Jesus as much as me. They don't really know what they're talking about. It's really easy to be critical of the church. And when I, when I say the church, I don't mean Calvary Vista. I mean the body of Christ, the church, everybody who believes in Jesus inside of these walls and those walls and outside in the world. It's so easy to be critical of other Christians. The church is a family, and it needs to be loved. 
constructive criticism is good. It's, it's okay to point out things that are wrong in a loving way. But Judas, is, he's just so critical. He's looking at Jesus, and he's like, I don't like where this is going. Jesus, you were supposed to be the guy who took over Israel, killed the Romans, became our king, and now you're just going around, and you're healing people, and you're telling people love their enemies, and just like, what are you doing? Like, Judas is so critical. His heart is being twisted. One of the things he's doing right now is he's missing the opportunity. Judas is missing the opportunity, and this is something that I do. The opportunity for Judas in this moment is to worship as well. Mary comes in, and it's this beautiful moment of worship where she pours out everything that she has, doesn't hold back. Judas had the opportunity to join in. I mean, I don't know if he should have got down there and started, like, washing Jesus' feet too, but just joining in the moment and saying, wow, this is a display of God's love. This is amazing. This is beautiful. I love this. But instead, he thinks it's a waste of time. I remember one time at a junior high camp. I was a counselor. I was working for Trevor O'Keefe. And I was up at camp, and one of the things I loved, and I still love, is I love the last night of camp, you know, when everyone goes up for prayer. Because a lot of times people don't go to get prayer, like, throughout the normal year. But for some reason, like, at that night, like, everyone goes up, and everyone starts crying and freaking out and stuff. But it's, like, it's this beautiful moment where people, they let their guard down, and it's totally, like, point one. They're just worshiping the Lord unrestrainedly, just, like, pouring out their heart to Jesus. And I, I love that. So I remember uh, Trevor was the junior high pastor at the time, and so he told me, you know, I'm going to go up and pray with people, but what I want you to do is to stand in the back and if any junior high kids are too scared to go get prayer, you can be the guy they go pray with. And so I was like, sweet, I love this. So I'm totally standing in the back, waiting to pray with people, and I'm like waiting for like my first kid to come pray with, and up comes this kid named Dana. I don't know if any of you guys remember Dana, but Dana just comes up, and he's just, he's a big ball of energy, and you know, just, you guys, he's got shaggy, floppy hair, and you know, he's, he's this just amazing little bundle of joy. And he walks up, and Dana's my buddy, you know, and I'm just like, hey, Dana, what's up? Like, do you need prayer? And he's like, can you take me to the infirmary? And I was like, what's going on, dude? He's like, I have a headache. And I was like, um, I got Tylenol. He's like, no, I need to go to the infirmary. And I was like, well, like, we're, we're praying with people right now, so, you know, why don't you just go sit down, and I'll take you afterwards. He's like, no. And he, he literally starts bawling. Like, he's, he breaks down, and he starts weeping. He's like, my head, it's going to, like, he, he was freaking out. And in that moment, I was so mad. I was just like, Dana, like, you don't need to go in the infirmary. Like, you have to understand, I was a junior high counselor. Like, you guys wanted to go to the infirmary, like, 24-7. Like, you stub your toe, like, scraped your knee, like, literally, like, a leaf fell on you. You wanted to go to the infirmary, like, just all the time. And, I, you know, I was the guy as the counselor who was tasked anytime, you know, Trevor's coming up to me, hey, this kid needs to go to the infirmary, this kid needs to go, and I'm the one who has to take them. And so I was so sick of taking people to the infirmary because they thought Band-Aids could fix everything. It was just like anything, like sore throat, put it on the back of your throat, Band-Aid, you're done. Like, it, that's just what people thought back then. It was, it was crazy. And Dana's there, and he's crying in front of me, and I'm like, oh, fine, I'll take you. So I'm taking him across the bridge, you know, the bridge from the chapel to the infirmary, and so he's crying and freaking out. He gets halfway across the bridge, completely stops crying, turns the tears off, like, just instantly, and starts talking to me about Pokemon. He's like, hey, man, Pikachu. And like, I'm like, 
Are you kidding me, Dana? You were just weeping, telling me to take you to the infirmary, and now you're telling me about Pokemon? And then he starts crying again. I'm just like, oh, my gosh. And I take him to the infirmary, and, and, and I'm just like, I'm so just like, I should be in there praying with kids who really need Jesus. Dana doesn't need Jesus. He just needs to go to the infirmary and get a Band-Aid on his head for his headache. Like, I was so ticked off. And the Lord spoke to me in that moment, and the Lord was like, you are missing your opportunity. Like, you want to go do something that you think is important. Oh, look at Aaron, Mr. Spiritual Counselor, going in there and praying with the kids because he's so holy. That was kind of my mindset. Like, yeah, people are going to want to pray with me, you know. Just, just totally immature. And God's like, there is someone in front of you right now who needs your help. There is someone right now in front of you who, even though they're kind of annoying you, even though they're crying about going to the infirmary when they don't really need to go, you need to help them. You need to reach out to them. That's what I'm calling you to do right now. And so many times, like Judas, we miss the opportunity because we're so focused on what we think is important. I want to challenge you guys. Don't miss the moments that God puts in front of you because you're waiting for something bigger because those moments mean everything. One of the things that Judas does that I totally see in myself is Judas judges other people's worship. I don't know if you've ever done that. Have you ever judged anyone else's worship? Don't answer that. <laughs> but probably you have. I remember, I mean, I, I loved worship growing up, seriously. Like, I was one of those kids in elementary school and junior high and high school. Like, I was always the guy, like, hands up, um, eyes closed, just praising Jesus, you know? So I, I loved worship. When I went to Bible college in England, there was this one guy, I remember, he was an English guy. He was like the, one of the only British guys. We were in Bible college in England, but it was a bunch of Americans. But he was like the one British guy. And during worship, he'd just be like in the front row, hands up, singing so loud and so off key to the point that it was distracting. And I remember I would sit there in worship and just kind of like judge him. Like, like, what's he trying to prove? Like, does he think he has this amazing voice and he's just belting it out there and I mean, doesn't he know that he's annoying everybody? This is distracting. Like, I can't worship Jesus if he's going to sing like that. But, like, really, do I know what's in his heart? Maybe, one, he doesn't know how bad he sounds, and two, he doesn't care because he just loves Jesus, and he's just worshiping Jesus, and who cares if I can't focus? Like, I need to just focus on Jesus. I, you know what? If he's singing that loud and, and I can't hear the worship leader, like, I just need to sing loud then. Even if I'm off tune, like, who cares what people think of me? Like, these are the things the Lord was showing me. It doesn't, like, it's not about, like, it's got to be this perfect artistic experience where everyone sounds harmonious and beautiful. Like, we're not like, a, have you guys, like, heard the Phil Wickham album where it's, like, the live recording? And, like, on that, you want to sound good. But, like, in church, let's just worship. In our life, let's just worship. I remember, um... Another junior high camp I went to, and there's this kid, and he's worshiping the Lord, and he's got his eyes closed. He's like in the middle row, long, shaggy hair. He looked like, you know, Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. This is years and years ago. You guys weren't even, you guys were like babies back then. Yeah. But this dude, yeah, you're probably a baby. But this dude, this dude, he's standing there during worship. Phil Wickham's playing with his spiky, gelled up hair, and this dude is just air guitaring it, just like... Just, and then, like, the drums, and he's just like, da, 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 like just. and I looked at him, and I was like, dude, he's being distracting, like, who is this kid, like, uh, and, and, and the Lord is just speaking to me, and he's like, he's going for it, 
Like, who cares? Stop judging his worship. Like, why are you distracted by him? He, obviously, this is a way that he's connecting with the Lord. He's really into the music. He's really into the worship. Like, who are you to judge? So many times, I am that way. I remember hearing um, my, my old pastor, Evan Wickham, talking about a story about flag wavers. Have you guys ever been to a church where they, they wave flags? Anybody? Flag wavers? You've seen that? Yeah, most of you guys are like, wait, what are you, what? <laughs> flag wavers? Yeah, it's a real thing. So there's churches where during the worship service, you know, it's usually churches where they have like a big band, like lots of lights, all this stuff. Well, somebody will like run back here. I wish I had a flag, I don't. But he'll just come out with like this giant like Les Mis, like raise the banner flag and just start waving it in the middle of the worship service. And yeah, all, I can see the looks on your guys' faces. You're like... That's a thing. It'd be funny if we did it here because our worship is usually like more like chill. We'd be just be like waving it super slowly in the back. But here's the thing. So I was listening to my pastor Evan talk about flag wavers, and he was saying like, yeah, I think that's weird. I think flag wavers is bizarre. I think, I think that's, that's weird. But my, my pastor Evan, um, he also is friends with a worship leader named Tim Hughes. Anyone know Tim Hughes? Kind of before your guys' time. So Tim Hughes is a worship leader. And Tim Hughes was at a church where they had flag wavers. Just, and there was tons of flags, like where anybody could just go and start grabbing them and waving them. But he came from like a Calvary background like us, so he thinks that's weird. He's like, flag wavers, like that's distracting, that's weird. Well, then God speaks to him, and God says, wave the flag. <laughs> wave it. <laughs> and he's thinking like, God, I don't want to wave the flag. That's weird. Like, I just want to worship like the way I want to worship. And God said, no, wave the flag. And so he's saying, like, that's so weird. And what God was saying to him was, listen, humble yourself. You're used to worshiping in the way that's comfortable for, for you. I want you to worship in a way that's extremely uncomfortable. Like, like, kind of the way, like, for you guys, if on a Sunday morning God told you, stand up, walk here in the middle of the room and get on your knees. Like, you would be like, I know that's a spiritual thing to do, but no one else here would do that. People would look at me and judge me and be like, oh, like, they're trying to be, like, little myths holier than thou. Like, oh, like, he thinks he's so spiritual. He's on his knees. Like, like, you'd start thinking these thoughts, right? This is what Pastor Tim Hughes is thinking right now. He's like, this is so weird. But God says to him, humble yourself. Step out of your comfort zone. Don't worry about anyone else. Just do this for me. And so he got to the point where he was, like, sick to his stomach. He was, like, torn between his flesh and the Lord. And finally, he, like, runs over, grabs the flag, like, runs out and starts waving it. And what Pastor Tim says is, in that moment when I grabbed the flag, I died. Not literally. He didn't fall over. It's like, wait, how is he telling Evan this? Is he a ghost? Is he, like, a Star Wars blue ghost? No. Like, he, he died to himself. Like, in that moment, he felt the narcissistic, self-involved, self-important, self-insecure portion of himself die, and he was free to just worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And I think, what a beautiful story. What a beautiful encouragement to us to step out of our zone of what is comfortable, whether it's in a church service, in a worship gathering, or out on the streets, or in our family. We are called to worship God, and I think God is calling us to get out of the boat and walk on water sometimes. I think God is calling us sometimes to really just like try to show him that we love him, not because we're trying to earn our love for him, but because like God is a romantic. And I don't know about you, but like, you know, when you're in love with somebody, like you don't want to just do the same thing every day. Like if you're going to be romantic, you got to mix it up. You got to like go buy some flowers. You got to write a love note. You got to write a love song sometimes. You got to step out. Like you can't just do the same thing every day. 
That's what love is. It, it's, it's being romantic. It's showing somebody that you love them in that way. And I just think it's a great story. Another thing Judas does that I find myself doing is he's acting like he's concerned about the worship, but he's really only concerned about himself. You know what I mean? Like he's there and he's like, he says, uh, like, why weren't, why weren't these things sold for 300 denarii? That's not like 300 pennies. That's not $300. 300 denarii was, it was worth basically about $35,000 would be translated. So this is huge. Like Mary brings this jar that she's saving for the future, for her welfare, for all these things, and she pours it out. Judas says, we could have sold that, $35,000. Like, we could have given that money to the poor. Really, Judas is a thief. Judas is just taking the money. He's thinking, like, that could have been $35,000. I could have taken probably maybe $5,000 of that. No one would know. Like, that, that could have been just money in my pocket. Guys, sometimes I'm guilty of this. Seriously, sometimes when I think of our youth group, um, sometimes I'm, I'm totally just thinking like, man, I wish we had cooler stuff in here, you know? Like, I wish we didn't have to share this room. I wish we had a ping pong table and like crazy lights. And like, I wish like it wasn't just a couple people that came, but I wish like we had like 200 people packed in this room. Like, that'd be so cool. Like, sometimes I think that way. Like, I wish we had like multiple screens and Xboxes and just like all this cool stuff so that people would come. But really, like, I'm just thinking, like, man, that'd be cool for us. Like, that would make us look good. And the Lord has convicted me of that. And the Lord says, Aaron, your heart needs to be focused on desiring to see God glorified. And we can do that with all that, without all that crazy stuff. And God's blessed us. Like, this, this room used to look so trashy. And it looks so good now. Like, God's done some things in this room. It's been rad. Like, we have this cool little space that's for us. But if that's all it is, like, our heart should never be focused on the external. The external stuff is just extra. Our heart should be, always be focused on what does God want to do with this group? How can we honor God? How can every time we get together on a Sunday or a Wednesday at the house or a Friday night at someone else's house or a street witnessing, how can we make every gathering that we get together like a little birthday party for God? How can we make it like a celebration for him where the focus isn't, are we having a good time? Are we entertained? Are we just like, just going for it? No, it, it, how can we get together and just be like, man, are we giving Jesus everything we got because he deserves it, right? Yeah. There's a statement, see how much time I have. There's a statement Jesus makes. I just wanna point this out to you. This is, this is, this is a little tiny portion of the study that's gonna be just purely like, theological, you know, going into a verse and explaining it. So if you're into that kind of stuff, be stoked, because this is important that you get this verse. There's a verse in there, I wish I had it in front of me, but I'm a terrible human being, so I just have my notes, and I don't have the verse reference. But there's a verse there. Can anyone tell me what verse it is? Jesus says, the poor you will always have. The poor you will always have with you. What verse is that? Eight? So Judas says, Jesus, we could have sold that, made so much money, and Jesus says, you know, Judas, you're saying you could have sold that to the poor. The poor you will always have with you, but me, you won't always have with you. That's actually a verse that's been abused by a lot of people. There's been even churches where when asked, why doesn't your church help the poor? Like, why don't you have a food pantry? Why don't you give? When a homeless person comes on the street, like, why don't you help them? 
And they, they actually use that verse as a defense. And they're like, well, Jesus himself said, like, you know what? You'll always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. So that's why, like, we don't need to help the poor people. We just need to, like, be in our church all the time worshiping Jesus together because it's all about just us worshiping Jesus. That's actually not the right way to look at the verse. That's not what Jesus meant at all. I'm going to explain it. So Jesus isn't saying don't care about the poor. In when Jesus says the poor, see, Jesus knew the Bible. He was a Bible scholar. So he was always pulling from old scriptures. So in that verse, Jesus is actually throwing back to Deuteronomy, verse 15, 11. In that verse, God is saying to Moses, Moses, the poor you will always have with you. He's trying to tell Moses, Moses, listen, you came from Egypt you brought the, the Jews out, you're wandering through the wilderness, you're trying to get to the promised land. No matter what stage of that project you're in, you're always going to have poor people. They will always be with you. There's never going to be a point where everyone gets rich. And so Moses, you need to always be helping them. You need to always be serving the poor people. Go read it yourself if you don't believe me, but Deuteronomy uh, 15, you could read about it. But God is instructing Moses and the other Jews to love the poor people and to help them and bless them. And for us, we need to kind of take that into heart. What Jesus is saying is, he's saying, listen, the poor you will always have with you. Christians, Christians, that will always be a responsibility for you to love the poor people. No matter how you want to translate that, you know? Like when I see a homeless person on the street, my flesh says, they just need to get a job. Like, if they, if they went out and got a job, they could totally be eating. But the Spirit tells me, go to Jack in the Box, buy a meal, drive back to where that homeless guy is, sit down next to him, give him the food, and tell him about Jesus. And I can tell you the times that I have done that have been just life-changing for me. Like, like, saying, like, not like, you know what, I'm busy right now, I don't need to worry about a poor person, they can worry about themselves, but saying, I'm going to go out of my way to love on this poor person. God has just blown me away. You can do the same thing in your schools, Maybe there's not a homeless person going to your school, but there's poor people in the sense of a kid who can't afford the best clothes, a kid who can't really afford good friends, if that makes sense. He's not cool enough. She's not popular enough. They sit by themselves, and when you go and love on them, it's amazing. So what Jesus is saying is, listen, the poor people will always be with you. You will always have the opportunity, but in this moment of time, Judas, I am here. I am with you in person. And so Judas, even though we will always have this responsibility to love people who are in need, right now I am right in front of you. Now is the time to worship. She gives up something valuable. Mary, she gives up something valuable, something worth $35,000, like I said, around that. And listen, guys, so you guys can be listening to this study, and you can be thinking, man, like God sure is needy. You know, Aaron's talking a lot about like holding back and giving God my best. And sometimes when we grow up in the church, we can hear these things like you've got to give God your best. You've got to give God your all. And you can think like, man, like why is God always asking for so much? Isn't that kind of greedy? Like is, why is God so selfish? Like I, why does he want me to give my life? But listen, hasn't love, true love, always been associated with giving? right? Hasn't true love always been associated with giving? It's not a selfish thing. It's just the rule of love. In marriage, are you giving something? Yes. You're saying, 
half of my money, or all of my money, really, this person gets. Pretty much all of my time, this person is going to get. Like, all of my resources, I'm going to share my house with them. I'm going to share my life with them. My life is not my own anymore. I'm entering into this marriage with somebody. Like, I am, I'm giving. I'm, you, you never enter, a, enter into a marriage and not give something. Same thing with kids. If you're going to have kids and you're going to love those kids and not be a neglectful, absent parent, you have to give something. If you're married and then you have kids, even more of your time is now lost. But a good parent is going to realize that that's what it's all about. It's not like some burden, like, oh, I have to go take my daughter out for ice cream. Like, seriously, guys, I'm so stoked. Like, I'm not, we're not pregnant or anything. But, like, one day we will be. And the thought of, like, wow, one day I'm going to be a dad. And, like, the thought of, like, taking my little girl out to ice cream or, like, throwing catch with my little dude in the backyard. Like, stuff like that. I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Like, yes. Like, I want to give my time. Like, forget my hobbies. Like, who cares? Like, I'll never play a video game again. Like, whatever. I just, I want to be a good dad one day. I want to be a good husband right now. Like, love means giving something. And it's not a bad thing. It's, is that a bad thing? Like the thought of giving something to your future spouse or your future kids or your friends right now even. Is that something you're willing to give? Would you be willing to give to that person? You would. So with the Lord, we're called to give, not because he's selfish, but because he called us into a love relationship. And amazingly, God gives back to us. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The more you are with Jesus, the more you start to desire the things Jesus cares about. And the more you're with Jesus, the more you start to fall in love with him. The final character we're looking at just really quickly is Lazarus. So just turn over to, let me see what verse it is. Verse 9. Verse 9, Lazarus. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on the account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. So, the last point for today is pure worship is risky and dangerous. Imagine dying once. Lazarus died. He knows what that's like. I can't imagine dying is fun. I've never met someone that died, but even though I'm a Christian and I know that I will be in heaven, I'll be in perfect paradise with Jesus, the thought of dying still freaks me out. Like, just that moment. Like, are you guys with me? Like, does anyone, like, even though you're confident about heaven, like, just the thought of the transition of going there and just how unknown that is, like, like it's like passing through another dimension. Like, it's just, it's bizarre. Like, it's strange. It's weird. For Lazarus, I mean... He died once of sickness. Now there's threat that he could die of violence. The Pharisees are looking at Lazarus, and they're like, everyone is trying to follow Jesus because of this Lazarus guy. Like, Lazarus is a threat. We've got to kill him too. I told you guys on Wednesday, many of you guys were there, but just this Easter, there was a group of Christians in Pakistan just hanging out on Easter morning having an Easter service. These are people who live in a Muslim country. They're not American missionaries. They're Pakistanis over in their country who have come to Jesus. They have come and heard the gospel, and they know about Jesus, and now they worship him. 
and a suicide bomber just on Easter goes into their church service gathering, detonates the bomb, and now 70-something people are dead and 300 more are injured. Men, women, children, babies. Just, it's, it's, I mean, true worship, it's risky. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. And I want to ask you guys, just in closing, are you willing to face the dangers? There's physical dangers, absolutely. But you know what? That's the least of our concerns as American Christians. We live in this country where we are free to worship Jesus. The government doesn't come after us. No one's putting us in jail. It's not like China where there are underground churches that meet because they are afraid of losing their lives and their families. It's not like Pakistan where you'll get blown up. As Christians, a lot of times we're so scared of terrorist attacks and all these things. We, we live in fear. But really, that stuff's not happening to us for the most part. It's like a very small percentage. I don't think we really need to fear the physical dangers. But for us, sometimes it's the social dangers. The social dangers of truly worshiping Jesus. Of being a guy or a girl at your school. And you know what? I was at Calvary for a long time, from second grade till graduation, and then like 10 years after that, like teaching and helping out and, you know, just chilling with you guys. Here at this school, this used to be a school. And I've seen a lot of people go through this Christian school where it's a Christian school, but there's social danger to really standing out for the Lord. And you don't want to be thought as the guy or the girl who really is on fire for Jesus. You don't want to be thought. And some of you guys go to Christian schools right now, you know exactly what you're talking about. Sometimes I think it's even harder to be a really on fire Christian in a Christian school. If, I, if I'm just real, I've been through it. I went to a Christian school my whole life. I watched Christian kids go through Christian schools. Sometimes you're in that environment and it's just like apathy is just swarming the entire thing because you're forced to go to Bible class and you're forced to, you know, go to chapels and it's just like, who cares? Like, it's so easy. You know where people thrive as Christians? When there's danger. The church has grown so much when there was risk. I wanna challenge you guys, in your Christian school, in your public school, whatever, take some risks. Stand up for the Lord. Go to that person that's on your heart. Write a note to them with a Bible verse and tell them about Jesus and stuff it in their locker. That's so weird. That's so awkward. Yeah, and even sign your name on it. Watch what God does. Go pray for that kid at that table. But they're not a Christian. Just, just go do it and watch what God does. Go to your teacher and tell them about Jesus and watch what God does. Guys, guys, there's social risks. Another danger is a personal danger, and it's our time. We think, I don't want to lose my time. I don't want to give up my time. My time is valuable. And to that, can I just remind you about eternity? Can I just remind you that we're on this earth for about 70 years, and, you know, that's about this long, and eternity is the entire span of this room times 500,000? Just, <laughs> and this is what we have. We're living in this, in this tiny little moment, and we're like, this moment is so important. Ugh, this is the moment. It's my moment. It's my time. I'm a teenager right now. I'll only be young once. I don't want to be like, Grandma, ew, she has wrinkles. Like, I've got to live for me right now. And Jesus says, you have all of eternity. You have all of eternity. And eternity is going to be rad. 
living in God's kingdom. It's not going to be sitting on a cloud singing worship songs forever and ever and ever. It's going to be singing worship songs and running around the hills with Jesus and cliff diving and surfing big waves and just like probably flying, I'm guessing, because we won't have limitations. Living in a kingdom that God rules. I mean, come on. How cool is that? How cool is that? A kingdom? I hope it's medieval. Some people, I have a friend who thinks that like all of the modern technology we have will be in the kingdom of heaven. I hope we go straight up medieval and I hope God creates some dragons for us to fight. I, I'm just, I'm excited. I'm excited about heaven. I think about it like all the time now. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. New earth, new heaven, uh, just phenomenal stuff. And we have this short time right now to make a difference. And that short time, the impact we make in this short time affects that eternity. So let's live for that now. Forget the danger. Forget the social danger, the physical danger, and the personal danger. Let's live for the Lord. This is what I'll end with. Music is not the beginning of worship. It is the end of it. When we sing to God and play music to him, it is merely an expression of the worship that is already in our hearts. And so, yes, raise your hands in worship when you're here on Sunday. Raise your hands to worship because you love the Lord, but raise your hands to worship as you raise that pencil to do your homework. Raise your hands in worship as you raise your hand to wash those dishes for mom. Raise your hands in worship as you raise your hand to hug your brother and sister when they're crying and tell them about Jesus and tell them that it's okay. Raise, you have so many opportunities outside of this room to raise your hands in worship. You do with your hands. Go out today, go out this week and worship God through what you do and through what's in your heart. Make sense? You guys with me? Okay, let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this group of solid disciples who love you and want to follow you with their whole hearts. God, I thank you, I thank you for our worship leaders that we have in here. There's a few of them, God, who they just love you so much, and it's so evident as they sit on the stage and lead us in song. God, I thank you so much for that. I thank you so much for that heart to point us through you, through the beauty and poetry and artistry of song. God, you're the original artist. It's just a beautiful thing for us to worship you. And God, I pray that you'd raise up more worship leaders. And what I mean by that, God, is, you know, there's people here who would never play an instrument. They'd never sing. They'd be way too scared. But they can lead worship in the way they live their life, in the way they love their little brother and sister, in the way they honor their parents and not disobey them, in the way they honor their schoolwork and their opportunities, in the way they preach the gospel, in the way they tell others about you, in the way they serve, in the way they work. God, I pray that we would have, I pray that every student in this room would become a worship leader and that they would all lead each other to worship you. Like you say in your word, that we would stir one up another to good works, not because we're trying to earn our salvation, but because we just love you, Jesus. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth with our whole lives. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, guys. Peace.